Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and sitting across from me um, in the CBC building here in downtown Toronto in a conference room is my good pal Chris Johnston. Chris, what's going on, man? The Hart Trophy conference room, most valuable to, to your team. We had to kick some kick some people out to to sit here, but I think we're it's a it's a nice little space. We've got a scenic view. There's people walking by. It's Friday afternoon though, so it's not too busy. And I think we're gonna run this on Saturday, um, so hopefully. Stuff we talk about doesn't get deemed completely irrelevant and useless, more so than it already is. I've already made peace with that. I mean, yeah. there's only so much we can do. Especially around this time of year, it's like a matter of minutes and all of a sudden a thought you had or a tweet you had becomes just looks so ridiculously stupid. Well, and what time is it? Uh, it's 4.45 Eastern yep. on the Friday night. And I've been doing Saturday headlines this this year on, on Hockey Night in Canada. I mean, normally... That was a nice little humble brag. There. No, but I'm going to tell you a story that, that illustrates the point is that normally I would have a, at least an item or two in my back pocket for Saturday uh, by this time. I mean, I'd feel scared, nervous concerned if yep. i didn't nothing right now i mean it's, it's just because something that there's just no guarantee that it would last that long at this point so it's going to be a frantic saturday afternoon in a good way uh coming up with our show and uh news moves fast so yeah. you got to be on top of things well okay so speaking of the news um we had a little trade here well we had one last night uh with michael grabner going to the devils and we can touch on that a little bit but then we also had the senators um I'm not going to count the Dion Phaneuf trade as the first domino falling. I feel like that was its own separate entity. Uh, but with Derek Broussard being traded, it feels like this could open the floodgates a little bit. And um, obviously, we're going to talk about Eric Carlson here. Are, are you bored of talking about all things Eric Carlson yet in terms of the trade? Not remotely. I mean, just because that's such a interesting dynamic and, and an unusual sort of trade. I mean, I'm actually what's cool about this deadline really is that we're not just talking about rental players and and. You know, it's not yep. just this guy with an expiring contract for a fifth. You know, there's not really that much analysis that needs to go into a lot of those moves. Whereas I think that this year there's a different dynamic at play between a lot of the teams. Now, why do you think that is? Because you're right. I mean, Carlson's not the only one. We've got Ryan McDonough, um, you know, even Mike Hoffman, Oliver ekman Larson. You have a bunch of big names with years still left on their deals that are theoretically considered to be available. Obviously, it's going to take a bigger package of prospects and picks to make that happen. But 
it feels like this year more so than years past, um, the dynamic has changed a little bit. Do you think that's kind of a one-off and it's just a weird thing and next year we're going to go back to the regular scheduled programming of the rental market being the be-all end-all? Or do you think that this is a sign that the league and the way teams are operating is changing at all? I see it way more as a change in the thought process of the front offices. Um, you know, the, the shine is off the, the rental markets. I mean, we've seen, you know, really, if you look back on the, the last five or six deadlines, say, to try to keep it narrow, I mean, most of the talk has been about the rentals and whether it was Martin Hansel last year, uh, you know, there, there's been some big prices paid for those players and often it doesn't really prove to help the other teams so much that that's acquiring them. And I think this is just one way to get value. And, and you know, some of these teams, especially, I mean, Carlson's its own trial. It's its own yeah. thing. So we'll just leave that to the side for now. Okay. But, um, you know, I think even with someone like uh, Derek Broussard, if you're the Senators, you know that if you hold him till next year, his value at the deadline probably isn't that much. I mean, this is the time if you really don't feel that he's going to be playing for you beyond next summer. And, you know, for them, they're entering a rebuild period. You know, I can understand the philosophy there and thinking this is a way to extract maximum value. You know, even for the teams acquiring, I mean, if you're the Penguins now, you're giving up your first round pick and a pretty decent prospect. But it's not just one playoff run. It's not all or nothing if it works right now, Derek Broussard or not. I mean, they have all next season now uh, to try to win another Stanley Cup with them, uh, even if it doesn't go well this spring. So I, I just think it's an evolution uh, there, there's there's more thought being paid, and let's face it, teams are not trading first round picks like they used to. I mean that that was a fixture of the deadline five years ago. That that really now because uh, lottery protection only takes you so far. Yep. I mean uh, we have yet to see a trade say that's like a three years out lottery protected pick. Maybe that will be the way teams get around it. But you know Ottawa's put themselves in a perilous position with the the, the first rounder they dealt in the Matthew Shane deal earlier this year, and I think it's a cautionary tale that. You know, even if you think your team's going to be good, who knows? I mean, the Lightning missed the playoffs last year, and theoretically their first-round pick could have been the first overall pick. So there's a lot of different dynamics, and I do think front offices are probably getting a little bit more analytical. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And that would imply not just looking at numbers and spreadsheets, as some people might think, but it's sort of a thought process, right, and kind of thinking right. outside the box and trying to get more creative. And it's interesting that you bring up uh, the idea of sort of picks way down the line and having all sorts of different protections and we see that quite a bit in the nba and obviously it's an entirely different animal but i've always been fascinated by that i mean i understand why a gm would be reluctant to give up uh, a current asset in terms of a player for a pick four years down the line that he might not even be around to to see and get to make anything out of but that could be because you never know i mean we see this the sport is so cyclical and who knows what even the Penguins right now are going to look like in three years, right? Like I, I feel like their first round pick then is much more uh, appealing just in terms of pure upside than what it is right now. Cause I feel like we know this year, it's not going to be that high of a pick. Well, and it's another wrinkle to try to extract more value in a trade. If you're a team making that pick. And to me, it seems like a natural evolution of where this will go because you know, there is a real reluctance now for sure in first round picks to be moved. I mean, I guess if we look at the absolute top of the standings, uh, at this moment in time, you know, if you're the Boston Bruins or Tampa Bay Lightning, a team that really there's there's no plausible way they're missing the playoffs, they could trade their first round pick yep. because they know it's this year and they know the circumstances and they know it's going to be 22 or below, 25 or below, whatever, you know, the case may be. It, it's just much trickier if, if you're a bubble team. And, uh, you know, those are the teams that probably want to be in the market in some ways. Yep. But... 
they're hamstrung because it's it's a risk. And last year, seeing three teams win the first three picks from down in the the draft order in terms of the percentages, you know that should be that should have a chilling effect. And I'm fascinated for one what is going to happen with Ottawa and Colorado, just because it feels like just feels like one of those ones that's going to go wrong. And and I and I'm not sure at this point beyond trying to reacquire that pick as part of maybe moving one of these big pieces the Senators still have. Mm-hmm what they can do because let's say they end up with a third overall pick now i mean they're right near the bottom of the standings you're not punting that one over yeah but then it's not protected for next year and, yes. and you're at the same time we're talking about the moving out brassards and even pajos and, and if eric carlson moves i mean they're they're going to be down to what mark stone uh maybe matt duchene uh, i think that he'll yeah. stay around for next season but what's their team going to look like i mean it's going to be hard to imagine them being a playoff team next yep. year based on the course they're charting right now well, I'm very fascinated to see what that math would look like in terms of at what point you just bite the bullet and give the Avs the pick this year. Um, obviously, if it's a top five, I imagine you're gonna it's gonna be pretty tough to save face and give that pick away. But it's risky because you're right. I mean, based on the way this team is headed, and we'll talk about Eric Carlson here in detail. But I mean, if they're gonna get rid of all of these uh, key contributors right now, it's hard to imagine things getting better in the short term. So. That's a that's a risky proposition. Um, well, let's remind everyone too. So the condition on the pick is that if it's top ten in twenty eighteen, they have up and I, I can't remember how it's specifically worded, but basically until the night of right to shift it to Colorado, uh, so it can go right down to the wire, and I imagine it might. So the question is, at what number? And I'm not enough of a, a draft, uh, you know, expert to, yeah. to know maybe where the drop off is right now in that draft. But what number? Is it worth it to shift it? Is it six or seven? Is it five? Is it four? I mean, it's a tough thing because, you know, odds are they're going to win the lottery next year, <laughs> just the way these things work. And, and uh, I would be very nervous about that one. Obviously, Pierre Dorian at this moment has many other things to worry about. He's probably not that concerned about that. But I'll tell you, if Colorado was interested in Eric Carlson, I would be making sure I'm getting that pick back just, yeah. just to remove any of the, the possibility. Okay. Um well, let's talk about the trade first here that it's already happened, and let's get the analysis out of the way there. So the Senators get back uh, a top prospect goalie of uh, Pittsburgh's first-round pick this year, which will be in the 20s, presumably, and Ian Cole, who it looks like they're going to try to sh- move before the deadline for other future assets. Um, what do you make of that from both teams' perspectives? Because it does seem like a pretty reasonable deal for both teams, I'd say. Um, and I understand that's not generally the sexiest opinion to have in today's day and age. People want people want one team to come away looking like bandits, and then you you crush the other team for getting way too little in the trade. But I don't know. It seems pretty reasonable. What do you think? There's no clear loser there. Yeah. I mean, we've we've known Pittsburgh has been anxious to to really get another centerman, and it, hopefully, in their case, they want an impact centerman, and they have no cap space. So, you know, based on the deal as we understand it now, it appears that they've managed to do that without you know really having to do anything too crazy you know Ian Cole was on the market earlier in the year he then got on a good run and has played well actually of late and and earned back you know I think some of Mike Sullivan's trust so it's a bit of a surprise to see him move but you know it's been suggested to me Ottawa might already have another landing spot for Mm -hmm. him I mean he they might never stitch him a sweater in Ottawa this might just be a quick uh return and flip um, for him, and, and so maybe that's how he gets in instead of someone like Matt Hunwick, who I think that the Pens were looking to move. But for them, look, you're you're going to do anything to try to win one more cup. Yeah. 
And I don't think it's crazy to think, you know, with Broussard having another year, that for the next two years, I don't see any reason that Malkin or Crosby aren't still going to be elite, huge difference-making players in that window. Their blue line somehow, they're going to try to win it again with a, a paper-thin blue line. Yeah, they did it last year. Although they have Chris Letang yep. uh, healthy this time around, which which obviously is a lot better than where they were at this time a year ago. Uh, I, I can understand this move. There, there weren't many centers. I mean, that's another thing. There's not really a a huge market here. And I actually believe, you know, if we go back, say two, three weeks, Ottawa, you know, wasn't really, they didn't feel they had to move Broussard. You know, he actually wasn't a player that they had prioritized as moving, but the market for him was so strong because Mm. there aren't, there isn't a a real rental market at center that I think that they they started to realize that, that this was a time to move him because there was, you know, demand for him and, and, you know, because he wasn't going to be around, uh, forever. So, you know, this wasn't actually one of the guys. I mean, the, the names we've really focused on most of the year are Hoffman, Pajot, and, and Zach Smith as guys I think that they had prioritized to try to move by the deadline. This this has sort of evolved out of that. Right. And, um, you know, I I like the return. I mean, look, it's probably – it could be a 30s pick. I mean, yeah. would we be that surprised if Pittsburgh's in the cup final again? No, not at all. Not at this point. So, I mean, if you're Ottawa, you almost have to just mentally steal yourself for that. Yep. You're getting a goaltender that had a good showing at the World Juniors and was a second-round pick last year, which is good, and, and we'll see what they can get for Ian Cole. I mean, I think Ian Cole at this stage will still get them a decent return of futures. Well, I mean, you see I mean, you see, Nick Holden went for a third-round pick, and I, right. I don't see any reason why they wouldn't be able to get something similar at the very least. I mean, we see every, every time this, every year this kind of trade deadline, days leading up to it, and then the day of, teams convince themselves that you can never have enough Warm bodies on the blue line, injuries happen. You want kind of reliable, safe, quote unquote. I'm using air quotes on all of these right. things. Uh, well, Ian Cole's played some big games in the playoffs. He has, and he, yep. You know what? He was serviceable for the Penguins. Yep. So yep. I could see if you're a contender why you'd have that view of him still at this point. I mean, part of me wonders maybe there's a fit in Tampa for him, yep. even if the, that, that's a severe downgrade from the Carlson talks. But, you know, the, the, the Lightning have some issues or concerns about their blue line. You know, perhaps this is part of something that's going on with them. Um, you know, and let's face it, Ottawa's going to save some money here. Yeah. Uh, you know, Broussard's contract is structured. I don't have the number in front of me, but the actual money is less next year, even though the cap hit uh, is still around $5 million. Yeah. But, you know, part of all they're, they're doing here is clearly to save some money. So they achieved that aim. Uh, they got a prospect. And I think it's a pretty fair return, especially given the fact that I, I don't think we'll see many first-rounders move. Yeah, no, I, and, I, and I like the fact that you know, they were at least kind of decisive and got ahead of the curve a little bit, you know, sort of setting the market right now for themselves as opposed to waiting to see how it goes. And then all of a sudden, you never know, you could wind up leaving the deadline and still having Derek Broussard. And I don't think that would be ideal just based on the fact that these three assets seem much more appealing for where the Senators are headed. Um, from the Penguins' perspective, their forward group is sick, outlandishly good. And, um, you know, I, I made this point on Twitter and I just wanted to bring it up here with you as well. You know, it helps having Crosby and Malkin, obviously. And I think when you're looking at, oh, what can other teams learn from the Penguins and how can they replicate their success? It's going to be very tough to get two guys like that. And obviously having them makes up for a lot of other things. But I think something the Penguins have done really well here lately is not committing money, especially um, in years to come, to the depth pieces. If you look, especially up front, um, other than Crosby, Malkin, and Kessel, Connor Sheary's the only one who's under contract past next season, and he's at a $3 million cap hit and seems to be playing perfectly well for that kind of money. So 
I love that because we see teams often get into trouble when they start rewarding depth players, third, fourth liners, third pairing defensemen years to come because you never know what's going to happen and you want to maintain that flexibility. And that's why a team like the Penguins is able to year over year keep adding pieces like this and improving their team, even though you think, like, how, how could they possibly keep adding guys? Aren't they up against it? And it's like, nope, they've actually been pretty smart with their money. They have, and it's been an evolution for them because and it you know involves two different management teams too because it's amazing. I think we're almost going to forget those middle years. Uh, you know, some of it was marred obviously by Crosby's concussion issues, but right. you know they were a team that was a perpetual underperformer in the playoffs or had goaltending issues. Mark Andre Fleury had a tough, a couple tough series. Whatever it was, it did look like that they might only that they might squander having these two amazing centermen and only win one cup and be a finalist in another. And everything's changed because they've hit on the strategy um, of, of you know promoting you know useful players but not superstars and just letting you know Sidney Crosby. Remember, it used to be thought that a it was hard to find wingers for Sidney Crosby and b that only Chris uh, sorry Chris, Chris Kunitz, Kunitz yeah. and Pascal Dupuis had figured out the magic formula. You know what we've since learned is you can basically put any you know above average AHL talent with him and yep. those guys produce. And, you know, credit to Connor Sherry and Brian Russ played with him a couple years ago. And, you know, and then Jake Gensel last year. And, and it's been, there's been a lot of guys Dominic this Simone season. Simone this year. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's Even like Zach an Aston Reese, you yep. know, more recently has seen some time there. Uh, and, you know, I think that they've, I think there's been an evolution in Sid's mind too, frankly, because, you know, he was known early in his career for being hard on his line mates and, and expecting you know, maybe them to be somewhere closer to, to yeah. his his skill level than they actually were. Whereas now, uh, th- this is showing to work, and and I do think that there's a model here. You know, for teams like the Leafs, say, mm-hmm. who have young players that are presumably going to get locked up to huge money deals, and then how you handle everybody else around them is going to uh, be important. And you know, they're going to have to keep their pipeline brimming to to re- to remain you know a real contender for many years to come. Uh, you know, it's interesting that that Jordan Stahl was you know one of the players that got sacrificed in this, and some of that uh, was was ego based, and that you know Jordan understood yep. he was only ever going to be the third line center behind those two guys. Um, you know, but they would have had to give him at that time. He ended up getting a 10 year deal from Carolina when he got traded, but you know, they haven't given those type of deals. You're right out. And, you know, they bought low on Phil Kessel. They didn't have to give up much asset wise for him that the Leafs even retained 1.2 million of his cap hit. They've been smart. And but just look at how they've approached this third line center thing. I mean, I think that's where teams really tend to get themselves in trouble. They Basically, let Brandon, Nick Benino walk. Yeah, but they, first they had Brandon Sutter, right. and they downgraded. In, in theory, they made a trade where they got other assets from from Brandon Sutter, whose contract looks horrible now in the Canucks, to Nick Benino, and then they used Nick Benino, great playoff contributor for them. And instead of paying him what he wanted this summer, they say thank you for your time here. We're gonna eventually try and find another guy, even though we don't have a clear replacement to begin with. They bring in Riley Sheehan and mixed results, but he's done perfectly fine for them. And now, obviously, Derek Broussard is an upgrade, and that's the flexibility you need to maintain. And I love that sort of top-down approach of building your roster as opposed to you see teams like the Islanders, for example, just locking up Cal Clutterbuck and Casey Zizekas, who are fine enough players, but four- or five-year deals, and all of a sudden you're struggling. You, those aren't the guys who are ultimately going to decide whether you win or lose the Stanley Cup. You're going to need the superstars to begin with. Right, and do you know what? Thinking back on it now, too, the Penguins were really, um, what's the right word here? They're really patient to yep. start this year. I mean, Greg McKegg, I believe, started with for them as one of their center options. I mean, they were confident that they could go through the season and address that need. 
And, you know, Jim Rutherford's made probably a million trades as one of the most experienced GMs. But, you know, it's it's the strategy has proven to, to pay off. I mean, yeah. look, we're, we're a couple of days out from the deadline. He didn't get hold, you know caught holding the bag. He had no cap space yeah. and somehow was able to maneuver this when, you know, we see some teams – they they get to the end and nothing happens. They go, oh, the cap. It's hard to make deals. I mean, it is hard sometimes to make these deals. Um, th- there are going to be a winner out of this deadline, I would think, no matter what happens. I mean, just the fact that they were able to rebuild uh, their bottom six uh, through the trades they have made this season. And you know, they, the one thing, too, about Crosby and Malkin is those guys played below value for yep. basically their whole careers. I mean, they, they, they made a lot of money, but they didn't go for the max contracts, and that's, that's helped Pittsburgh as well. Yep, and now we're at the point where you know people were panicking about them earlier in the season, and some of that was just a, a percentage-driven thing. They couldn't buy any saves; they had horrible shooting percentage. But now, all of a sudden, based on the way they're playing and with this addition, I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a series out there where I would feel confident picking the other team to beat them. Like I really like the Bruins right now, and I think they're legitimately a great team. And the Lightning, obviously, with the talent they have and we'll see um if they add another uh big name defenseman back there as well without subtracting anything from their main roster maybe we'll revisit this discussion but for now the penguins are right up there with those teams as the scariest teams the east has to offer and the entire league as a whole um eric carlson we're 20 minutes in and we haven't even really talked about it yet i know you wrote about this yesterday um let's just get into it would you expect something to happen um between now and the deadline on Monday and if not I guess June then seems like an inevitability right it seems like at this point the relationship has just gone so far south that it seems like it's going to be really tough to envision Eric Carlson being there in the years to come yeah that's where the senators are at I mean where they've internally made the decision he's not going to be with them certainly at the end of his current contract in a year and a half's time and you know so then it becomes about how do they get the best deal? Obviously, they, there's been a lot of talk about them wanting to try to get rid of Bobby Ryan's thirty plus million dollars uh, as part of this trade, which severely complicates the the possibility of making it here in the next seventy two hours. Um, but I do think that there's still a chance, a pretty good chance, he's moved by the deadline. He he's definitely moved by the off season, and I think you know the point I was making in that that little opinion piece I wrote was just if you've decided you're moving them to me you do it now because I actually don't think it gets easier in the off season. I think it's easy to say, Oh yeah, there's more teams and this and that, but the, the, the desire for those teams to pay an absolute premium, I think goes down in, in kind of the, the quiet of the off season, the fact that they'll be able to reflect on the, you know, that they only have them for one year, or even if they're extending him, they're not getting them as, as much as a bargain. Once the extension kicks in, Uh, I think that there's a unique sort of, timing thing here where if they can make this trade by this deadline i mean they have full control they don't have to work with eric other than his 10 team no trade list Mm -hmm. and it's a deal that they'd like to make you know it's it's the best at this point for everyone involved i think you know once you've made that decision it's like remaining married before the divorce you know you might if they can do it now it's optimal the the issue they're having of course is there's really not that many true suitors for all kinds of reasons in the middle of the season. Especially uh, if you throw the Bobby Ryan wrinkle into things, right? Yeah, I mean, that's that requires a third team, especially with the Lightning, you know, the most likely landing spot. If Eric is moved by Monday, 
it'd be a surprise if he ended up anywhere other than Tampa, you know, before this deadline. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, once you get beyond the deadline and we're talking about the draft, then there's there's a whole range of possibilities there. Although I don't think the return would necessarily be stronger, which is kind of my point that this is the time if you've made the decision you're not keeping him to get the best result back. It's a fascinating trade. It's I don't think it's one Ottawa can win. Yeah. I, I really don't see a win here for them. We're uh, definitely losing the best player in the trade. Regardless. You're losing the best player. You're not likely to ever recoup the value unless you get lucky with one of the prospects, yep. say, you get back or the, or the draft pick you make. And your fans, I mean, the, one of the stories of the Ottawa Senators, and it's not what hockey fans really want to focus on, is that their business is failing. I mean, they're 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 not selling enough tickets. The, the reason they've lost another president and CEO in the middle of the season is that there's some serious issues there on the ownership level and with the senior executive on the the business side of that operation. And it's clearly, you know, flooded over into the fact that, you know, it's, it's, it's not church and state with the hockey uh, department and the business department. I mean, there, there's some serious issues here and you know, what, what's it going to look like in this, in the Canadian tire center, if they, you know, they sell off Carlson in addition to Broussard, perhaps some other members of this team. I mean, we haven't seen anything like this yeah. in, in a long time. And, that's not to suggest they shouldn't do it. I think now they should, basically, yeah. given that we're this deep into the conversation publicly and clearly privately. Uh, Pierre Dorian and his staff are there as well. And this could be the biggest trade of the salary cap era. I yeah. mean, I don't know where we, we put it now. Joe Thornton's deal, which is going way back for you know yeah. kind of spare parts, uh, was one of the biggest ones. I was very early in the cap years, but think how long he's played in San Jose and been exceptional. Yep. Uh, certainly the, the P.K. Subban deal, the Taylor Hall deal that happens on the same day, even though they feel like they're related, even though they're not. Right. Um, but this, to me, given that Eric Carlson is still only 27, he turns 28 in May, uh, I mean, we, this guy could be a, a great defenseman for seven or eight more seasons, and he's getting traded away, and it could end up being for very little. Yeah. Only a handful of short months after they were one game away, one one goal away from making the Stanley Cup final, and obviously, you know, I don't think anyone believed that they were necessarily the best team in the Eastern Conference and should have been representing the the conference in the final. But I mean, they, you can't argue with the results, and they were there. And it's just remarkable that it's happened this quickly, and the relationship has deteriorated this this fast. Well, and I wish we had like the lines from that Game Seven yeah. in Pittsburgh because we know you're taking out Turris, yeah. you're taking out Broussard now. Yeah. You know, you, basically the top two centers for Ottawa in that series. If you take out Carlson, you know they've lost Mathot, who played with Carlson in that series. They've lost Fanoff off their second pairing. Yep. Um, the cuts are going to go deeper than that, I would expect by Monday's day. I mean, they will have literally picked that whole team apart and. We'll see what they have back. I mean, obviously, Matt Duchesne is there now and wasn't part of that series, but they don't have a lot to show for it in current day assets. And, you know, look, they're, they're doing a rebuild. That's, yeah. I mean, it, it might work. I mean, it's worked for other teams if they get some luck in the lottery and if they hit on some of these prospects. But it's a it's a risky venture. It's a money-saving venture. And I'm fascinated to see what the sort of implications are off the ice yeah. in terms of tickets sold, how they get a building built. You know what happens there because there is definitely some instability in that organization, right? And the, yeah, so the Bobby Ryan thing is interesting because it's always tough when you're talking about um, the idea of kind of cutting costs and the finances because there's b- bigger factors there in play. But you know, for a team that's clearly, if they trade Eric Carlson, going to be taking a massive step back and really embracing a full rebuild, and it'll probably take a few years. It's really tough to um, sort of 
spin the idea that it's okay for them to take a smaller return if someone takes Bobby Ryan's money off of their hands because it's not like... Cap space is definitely an asset. We've seen that. But I don't think they're going to be all of a sudden filling that money left behind they've cleared from the Bobby Ryan deal with players that are going to come in and help them right now. So it's one of those things where it's like, if you're going to suck, you may as well just keep Bobby Ryan anyways and just get as many picks and prospects as you can back for Carlson. So if they really do take a smaller return just to get Ryan's money off the books, I feel like uh, Senators fans on, on online are going to be very, very upset. Well, and it's a risky strategy because you're right because they don't spend to the cap. I yeah. mean, when when the Toronto Maple Leafs were going through their rebuild, they were using their cap space and their organization's financial might to extract more assets. I mean, they they got rid of Dion Phaneuf to take on you know the bad contracts at the time of McCulloch, Greening, and Jared Cowan, which Ottawa wanted rid of. I mean, they were they were they were sort of strategic in how they were allotting that cap space. So for them. If, if if it was a deal out of that sort of organization, you might say, oh, well, they have something planned for that $7.5 they're opening up on Ryan, or $7.25 in cap space. With Ottawa, it's just probably going to sit empty. And, you know, I can understand why they're going to do it. I mean, if they do it, they'll probably come out and say, look, we need that money to sign, uh, you know, Stone long-term or, or, you know, to attempt to retain Matt Duchesne who must be having like PTSD right now thinking he got out of the nightmare in Colorado yeah. and now is full on in another rebuild type of situation. And we should say for Duchesne, um, the one kind of silver lining here for both him, but also the senators is that he's actually played remarkably well through all of this. I believe I, I forget what the exact totals are, but he's over a point a game in his past 20 something games. And so whether he's going to be there long term and they're going to re-sign him or whether he's going to be back out the door either this summer or next season at least seem, seems like they're going to be able to recoup some assets they might not get back the, t- the type of pick that colorado is going to get from them but they're going to get back something it's not like it's a completely some cost exactly and, and i know duchene likes it there i yeah. mean i don't know how he feels about what might be happening in these three days and how it's hard to forecast how that might or might not impact his decision you know potentially even this summer when they can open negotiations with him but he has enjoyed playing for the Sens, and I think he likes living in the community. And you know, there is a chance they do keep him, but if they do, they're going to have to pay him. And and so I, I, that's probably the way you sell this. But it's going to certainly for the hardcore fans. I think it's going to be a tough one to take if if Ryan goes with Carlson. I still think it's a big if. I, I I don't know. I mean, really, Vegas is the only team where you could see that being a fit, mm-hmm. a comfortable fit. Uh, because the Golden Knights really don't have many bad contracts on their books. Um, you know, they do, I guess they did take the Grabowski deal and uh, Clarkson. Clarkson as well as part of that. So those are players that will never pay for them, play for them that are getting paid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Bobby Ryan could probably play on their team, though. Yeah, for sure. And they don't have a star. You know, that's, I mean, with with due respect to William Carlson, who's yeah. had a, a real star turn through three quarters of yeah, the season. Yeah. But, you know, they don't have a true dynamic difference maker. Especially and, on the blue line. And exactly. And yeah. they could get that in, in Carlson. So, you know, th- they're a team where there's a fit. In my sense is Vegas isn't all that anxious to do this, um, mostly because they don't really have that many prospects yet. Mm. I mean, they dra- they had one draft, and they did have three first-rounders in that draft, but they don't know yet what those players are going to be. They they have a ton of picks coming up, but you know their view is that they have to build this thing by hitting on all those picks, not trading them away to, right. to try to be good now. Um, so if, if Ryan is it has to be stapled to Carlson, I think that we're talking about a summer deal and and frankly, probably an uninspiring return 
if they move off that or, or come to the conclusion that it's not, it doesn't make sense, you know, there's a way better chance he's dealt by Monday afternoon. And as I say, I think that's going to be best, what's best for, best for everyone involved. And I have to believe there's a chance management gets there mentally knowing that, even though the problem really is there's not a market here. There's the lightning, and Steve Eisenman doesn't lose many trades. So if he, is he, if he is moved by Monday, do you view the lightning as the most logical and, quite frankly, only destination for him? Or do you, if, if they do move off of the Bobby Ryan idea and they just want to get back the biggest return possible? It's the most likely. I mean, there's there's a ton of smoke here, and... Uh, it's pretty clear Carlson is warm to the idea. Uh, I think it was an NBA style, uh, kind of subtle, you know, come down here, Eric. Yeah, you know, the thing going on with, yeah. with Victor Hedman. I mean, I, I'm not actually accusing him of tampering. It's, it's more been playful. But you know, <laughs> what I mean is that I, I think that you know, spending that All Star weekend in Tampa, knowing how good that team is, having friends on that team. I mean, all that stuff is appealing to Carlson. You know, I think he'd be willing to talk about it being, you know, signing an extension there too, and maybe not at the kind of market value we've talked about in the past because of the tax situation and the fact he would be part of a good team. I mean, I don't know that that's the Lightning's intent in making right. that deal, but it's it's certainly an open possibility if they make this move. And you know, for Tampa, they have this small window of this year's playoffs and next year, where Nikita Kucherov is undervalued, where Braden Point's still on an entry level deal and producing well above what he's paid, but that only lasts for so long. And the idea of getting another defenseman, I think that that could tilt the ice their way. I mean, that's it's tough to pass up. They might only get one chance like this, is yeah. what I mean. And again, Steve Eisenman is such a cool customer. You know, we saw John and Duran attempt to put pressure on him. It didn't work. He kept him forever and then still got a good return on the deal when people thought it wasn't possible. No one bullies him in. No no deadlines imposed or whatever. Have have I seen any evidence, you know, the Stamco mm-hmm. situation have ever made him move off his mark? But this is going to test him because you only get a chance like this once with this kind of team. Yeah. Yeah, and he's, he's made it very clear that, uh, you know, it's tough to say how much of it is just posturing the media and whatnot or how much of it is actually the truth, but that they have a very, very strong preference towards not giving up anything off their current team to make this happen, which obviously makes sense if they're acquiring Carlson to try to win the Cup this year. It makes sense that they prioritize giving up futures that aren't currently in the team, but it's kind of tough to see Ottawa spinning this as... Uh, I mean, they're not going to win this trade, as you said, but even as you know, something that where they stay face a little bit if they're not getting back either Sir Gadget or Point. They're not getting Point. That one I'm sure of, you know, that, that Tampa is not trading him. I mean, in Tampa's eyes... He might be their number one center mm-hmm. at this point, and and he's still a kid, yep. and his upside and growth, and even just that he's under team control at a good number, all those reasons I don't see them ever dealing him. Um, you know, Sergachev, clearly it's not their preference to do it, but I could understand why they might do that one a little bit more. And the question really is, if you're Ottawa, and especially if we're imagining the scenario, Sands Bobby Ryan. Mm-hmm. How can you make a trade with Tampa and not get one of those two guys? I mean, I, I don't cle- think you can. clearly the best two young players on their roster today, yep. guys you know right away can play for you in the NHL and, and start you down a path and, and at least allow you to sell some hope to your fans. It's not just a mystery pick, you know, coming this June and then you got to wait. And, you know, that, 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 that's a hang up. That's, that's going to be an issue. And I don't see Steve Eisenman just knowing his past bending on that one. And, you know, the problem is, too, you know, for those of us hoping to see this deal, just because it would be fascinating if it actually comes to fruition, 
you know, Pierre Dorian in the back of his mind knows he doesn't have to do this deal by Monday as well. Right. So, you know, the, both sides might dig in there. and that, that, a game of chicken. That, just... that could be the hang-up, but it's going to go down. If it doesn't, if the trade doesn't happen before Monday, I'm guessing the conversations on this one are going down to 259.59 just in case. I mean, if I was compiling a list of the people I would not want to get into a staring contest with here, I think Steve Eisenman would be very high on that on that on that particular list. So uh, I don't envy Pierre Dorian in this situation. You don't want to get on Steve Eisenman's bad side either. Just ask Elliot Friedman. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, let's take a quick break here to hear from a sponsor, and we're going to pick it up after the break. Buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated and confusing, but there's a better way to buy, and that's with SeatGeek. SeatGeek's the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're searching for a last minute deal, planning a night out, or just looking to find the perfect gift for someone in your life, SeatGeek's gonna help you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's really nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek's gonna help you get closer to the action for a great value. As I said last time on the show, I've been using SeatGeek this week uh, to get myself to some events while I'm here in Toronto. Actually, as soon as I finish this particular read, I'm going to submit this podcast and I'll be off to the ACC to watch the Raptors. And that's something I'm really looking forward to and relishing because I can't really get to watch any basketball while I'm in, Toronto, in Vancouver. So now that I'm in Toronto, I'm going to take advantage of that. And thanks to SeatGeek, it was such an easy process because it just took a couple taps and a few short seconds and I instantly found myself some great seats that I can enjoy the spectacle in. And guess what? That could be you too as well especially since SeatGeek is now offering my listeners $20 off their first purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code PDO today. That's promo code PDO for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Now let's get back to Chris Johnson and the PDO cast. All right. Um, what are we... I mean, we're already at 35 minutes here, and we've only really talked about the Senators so far, although I guess they have been garnering the most attention around the league the past handful of days. Um I don't know, let's talk about the Canucks, I guess, just because of the recent uh, happenings with the Eric Branson situation, and, you know, Jim Benning obviously got his exp- extension recently, just like Pierre Dorian, and I don't know, like, w- w- what were you hearing around the league in terms of that? Because it did feel like there was a market there for Good Branson, especially when you look at how few defensemen really are available. Um, do you think that, I mean, I... I my opinions here are very on the record. I feel like the Canucks really messed up here. Um, well, what do you think when you see that? Do you think there was an actual market there, and do you think the Canucks really passed up a nice return? The market would not have been as good as what they gave up to get them, mm. which I think is a complicating factor when you're making that decision in the general manager's chair uh, because it is admitting a mistake, uh, You know, even if you don't come out and say it out loud. I mean, it doesn't take much for us to say, hey, you, you sent this and this and this to Florida, but you got this back. Uh, you know, I'm not sure that he'd be getting a number one pick back in no. that trade for Gabrans. In fact, I would expect not. But I would have expected a better return than Nick Holden, you know, got the New York Rangers. Mm-hmm. So it's not unreasonable to think he's getting a second rounder and a prospect in that trade, you know, based on where the market prices seem to be today. And, you know, based on the fact that Gabranson it still isn't that old. Uh, you know, there, there's there's some positives there, I think, that other teams uh, would, would would see in him to make that sort of deal. It's it's hard then for me to, to totally get the, the rationale here. You know, I, I understand they feel he's going to be better than he's been and, and those types of things, but it, it feels a little like one of those half-pregnant situations where uh, I, I don't understand why you're not selling anything of value if you're the Canucks. I mean, basically anything that isn't nailed down and isn't a future star like Brock Besser or whatever, I mean, right. I, I don't understand why you would, would ever 
not be selling on those guys because you have a window to do it and your team still is frankly not that good and and if you've just now paid a guy four million dollars to be on your third pair you're not getting better with that so it, yeah it, it it's a it's a tough one for me to to defend you know i i don't see i don't see where the value is in in it for the canucks frankly they didn't get him below a market uh of course they can still trade him moving forward there's no no movement or anything involved in it but he, the time to trade him now is when he's on an expiring deal i yep. think and and so it's a missed opportunity it's it's a, I, I just can't defend it. I, it doesn't make any sense to me, uh, other than the fact that you have just expended future assets to get him, and I think it's going to look bad. But you know, look at the Rangers just to to you know draw a sort of parallel here. You know, they gave up two draft picks to get Brendan Smith at the deadline last year. Mm-hmm. Played pretty well for them in the playoffs. Granted, they gave him a big contract, and you know, not you know, a little over halfway into the season, they sent him to the minors. Yeah. Even though he's got three years and seventeen million left or whatever his his deal still carries. You know that's admitting a mistake, and and that's a team that's doing kind of what where Vancouver should be doing to me is trying to amass as many future assets, turn things around, and blow up what you have. Um, there's two ways of handling, you know, a mistake, and I feel like they've doubled down on their error rather than you know just try to recoup what they could and in, in dealing them now. Right, and that's the thing. You know, I understand from the perspective of especially before he got his extension, where if Jim Benning kind of trades Eric Branson for a much smaller return than what he paid for him. He's sort of admitting defeat, and that might be a tough thing to sell to ownership to kind of come come back with your tail between your legs. So I understand that, but then, like, you got you get the three-year extension. You're, you're, you're going to be good. They're not going to get fired for trading Eric Branson. I feel like this is the time, if anything, to recoup. I, I heard it was a second and a fourth. That's a very appealing package of picks, especially considering the fact that he's an unrestricted free agent. If you love him so much... You sign can him sign him on July 1st. <laughs> sign him. I don't think teams would have been lining up to throw uh, this kind of money at Gabranson. And it's it's tough because I think there's just a common misconception amongst people about how this sort of stuff works as a defense position. You, you know, people cite the fact that he's, oh, he's only 26. There's still so much time left. But just based on the fact of what we know about aging curves and how defensemen operate, there's obviously the rare exception here or there where a guy really comes into his own in his late 20s. But we know, I mean, 400 games in, um, I feel like I'm pretty confident saying Eric Branson is who he's going to be uh, at his full form. And that's not a very uh, impactful player, as we've seen pretty much the team, whichever team he's played on, has been worse with him on the ice than when he's not on there. So for all of the intangibles he brings, it's not lending itself to outscoring the other team. So I, I don't really see the argument for him. Well, and his ice time tells you what the coach yeah. thinks of yeah. him, too. I mean, if... If Travis Green believed he was a first-pairing defenseman, he'd be playing over 20 minutes a night consistently and getting used in certain situations that he's not. Uh, you know, and I, I just don't see why you, you're paying a third-pairing guy $4 million. I mean, even if you imagine a scenario where somehow the Canucks get really good in the next few years, you're not going to want that much money allocated to that spot either. And uh, it, it, there's a loyalty factor. I'm sure there's all sorts of these these other things, but but really – and and this is heartless, but it's true. I mean, to me, when you're managing a roster now in the NHL, I mean, there, so much of it is just business and it's just numbers. It's just, you know, what an asset is worth and what you can expect it to produce. And you're, and you're trying to maximize those things. I mean, I know that's harsh. There's lots of NHL players who I love as people and don't mm-hmm. want to see them, you know, go through tough times in their life. But I yep. mean, that's just the reality. And so 
this is not a, a good way to manage that asset. There's just no way around it. I, I can't, um, I can't fully embrace the the line of thinking here. I don't see them getting any value. It's like even if Erica Branson is better than he is to, right now, next year somehow. I mean, yeah. Are they going to be getting a deal on this? Like, no. is is he going to be a six million dollar D getting paid for all of a sudden? Like, I don't see that. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, it's a totally different situation. But it's kind of one of the criticisms I had with the Jack Eichel extension. Uh, it's not that I don't believe Jack Eichel is an awesome player, but the the Sabers handed him a, a ten million dollar deal a year out from when he, you know his contract was going to expire. And what were they thinking was going to happen this year? Like, unless he won the Hart Trophy this year. There's no way they're getting yeah. value on that. Right. I mean, you're, what you're hoping is that he plays up to that now. I mean, to me, there's there's always sort of risks involved in, in these type of things. I mean, look at the deal uh, Nick Ehlers got from Winnipeg, uh, you know, a year out. You know, they took a calculated risk that, you know, by signing him now and by signing him, I believe it was six million times seven, by signing him that time that that you know by the time it actually came to doing that deal that he might be worth more right yep. there's a calculated risk that i can understand in there i just don't see it here uh, for the canucks and i'm with you trade them and bring them back i mean we've seen that happen numerous times around the league and and even though we know that these things aren't cooked up wink right. wink nudge nudge you could certainly have those conversations yeah i mean and there, there's two components to being a gm in this league I, I i strongly believe there's the talent evaluation perspective and i think jim benning's actually done a pretty decent job at that um and then there's just having a grasp of the risk and reward and opportunity cost when it comes to handing out contracts and getting picks back for players that might not be there long term. And that's what this ultimately comes back to. It just there's just so much risk, and as you as you alluded to, there's very little reward. It's it's difficult to see. First off, good Branson getting so much better at this point, even if you believe that he will, which I don't, that he's going to justify that contract and become a value. And second of all what's the end game with this current team is in the next three years are they planning on competing for a stanley cup because it's difficult to see that based on the roster they currently have yeah they need like petterson or something to oh. be just to become something special right away yeah and, and you know maybe that'll happen i know he's a well thought of player but you know i don't i don't see this current roster being one we're talking about as being a contender in the next three years at any point um, with some X factors, maybe they win a draft lottery, and you know everything changed in Toronto when Austin Matthews showed up. It, like the whole That's thing true. looks different. Yep. Um, all your other players then get knocked down one peg from where they need to be. Suddenly, Nazem Kadri isn't a problem number one center. You're like, oh, he's a great number two center. Um, Wait, so yeah, there's like there's like five teams here where if they get Rasmus Dahlin, all of a sudden. Our, our expectations for what they're going to look like in the years to come is going to change very, very dramatically. Right. And that's the amazing thing about being around a team that, that, that just isn't in a good spot is, is everything gets criticized to such a degree. And then when you get the players in the roles that they should be and you can knock those players back in the lineup to, to a more suitable position, everything just calms down. You know, like Phil Kessel took so much heat in Toronto. I know there's tons of stupid reasons for that that have nothing to do with hockey and just who he liked to talk to in the media and all that stuff. But you put him on Pittsburgh where he certainly doesn't have to be carrying the hopes of everyone on the team, and you're just like, wow, how would the Leafs ever trade that guy? But, right. you know, he, you just it's amazing how things get unfairly pinned on players. So I don't see Vancouver having enough of the real difference makers, you know, in their lineup that are at the right age to to do it. To me, they should be doing something like Ottawa's doing or the Rangers and, mm-hmm. and you know, anyone but the Horvats and their, their young players that, that they have hopes that they can develop into more than they are. Trade them to get what you can and 
and do it that way. But clearly, you know, I, I think ownership too plays a, a role there about maybe not wanting to not wanting to endure, se- you know, some seasons where no one's going to the games and, yeah. and being really, really bad. I mean, well, I hate to break it to you, CJ. No one's going to the games right now, and they've been very bad, kind of unintentionally for the past four or five years now. So. But they haven't come out loud and said we're going to be bad. <sighs> Isn't that more depressing, though? Like, they're, Definitely. like, unintentionally bad? <laughs> Definitely. I mean, I think, and it's sort of cliche, but I like when, you know, senior executives of teams speak directly to their fan base and yeah. explain that why there has to be pain and or however they they term it. I mean, that was a huge moment, I know, living here in Toronto and being around the Leafs a lot, when Brendan Shanahan, he basically fired 30 people, like every scout in the organization and, and Dave Nonis and the coaching staff and, you know, right down the line and then came out and it was just like, this has not been good enough. Uh, we're going to, we're going to lose, but yep. we're going to come out ahead. And I, I have to believe the paying customers and the people that love the team understood that because they'd been, a lot of them had been yelling that on Twitter for about four years and before the Leafs finally acknowledged it, you know, the Rangers have been proactive. I mean, it's a funny strategy. They're still in the playoff yeah. race. Right. Well, and Henrik Lundqvist complicates that, right, based on how good he still is and his age. It's tough to see them really bottoming him out while he's still playing like this. But I do appreciate the transparency. And also, I think most most fans just want there to be like a plan that they can see and the team to execute it and stick to it regardless of what happens. And that's the thing. Like, you know, Michael Grabner for a second, Nick Holden for a third. We'll see what Rick Nash gets back, maybe even McDonough. And all of a sudden, it it seems like at least they're kind of following through with a plan as opposed to kind of one step forward, two steps back all the time. Right, and they've already removed Derek Stepan last year and even Antti Ranta, who's, you know, like they've started, they've been, and and the Brendan Smith thing, I just, I'm gobsmacked by that, just that they so quickly admitted it didn't work and, and, you know, he's gone. I mean, it, you have to have the support of ownership to do that. Not every GM has the currency in his own front office to be able to waste money, frankly, with his decisions like that and, and live to tell the story. Um, but I, I like I liked that. You either have to sell that you have a chance to win or you have a plan to get the chance yes. to win. And anywhere in the middle is no good. And if you're just hoping all the time, I mean, hope is not worth anything. And, you know, most teams don't get lucky by accident. I mean... What's weird about the Senators is, is they just volley back and forth between like awful and then they have like these crazy stretches, right. like that Hamburglar run when they won like twenty games in a row somehow. Yeah, and, I mean they've been a they've been a, an interesting organization the way things have played out there. But um, you know, I, Vancouver will be interesting. But they to me they're going to need to get lucky now just based on it appears the the direction they're headed. Maybe that's maybe that's a little unfair. They, they definitely have some young players. They do. That, they do. That are good. I mean, they're not totally hopeless. But the problem is, every team has a couple of good young players. Like it's it's, yeah. I've enough about Vancouver. We spent. There's a lot well, of other stuff we could talk. You about. You live there. I know you got. It's, it's you got the recency bias. It's or remarkable. But it's also the thing that frustrates me is this. There is a big time sort of. I mean, I understand fans. It's it's perfectly okay if you're just a fan of a team to just you know always stick with your team and every decision they make just. Be like, oh, I'm sure there's some sort of logic behind this. And you saw that grants and the, the pushback I got. I was expecting some of it when I voiced my concerns about that. But, man, there's Canucks fans came out of the woodwork to, you know, tell me that I don't know what I'm talking about, that Gabranson's actually really good, that, you know, Jim Benning sees something in him. And there's this big-time appeal to authority that's not just unique to the Vancouver market. It's all around the league where it's, well, this guy's the GM of the team. He must know exactly what he's doing. And I, I, I'm, I'm all for it. And, he might, but I'm all for just asking questions and 
wanting answers, I guess. Well, one, one thing I've come to learn over time in, in getting to know more people in front offices and conversations is that there are times GMs or assistant GMs like willingly, knowingly make a bad decision because there's reasons why they have to do it. Yeah. And, you know, that's kind of a fascinating aspect that I'm not sure or nuance that, that everyone realizes is, is in some of these places, these guys are in a daily struggle to keep their boss happy and, yep. and it, it forces them to do things they shouldn't do. And that's a terrible place to be in for an organization because it's no way to live your life. But look, we, we know that Eugene Melnick, for example, is known to be all over his general managers. I think it was that way with Brian Murray for a lot of years and probably one of Brian Murray's skills many skills in addition was, was that he could could manage that and still do his job and keep Eugene at bay and, and not always have to blow everything up. I mean, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy having to make the decisions some of these people have to make, but I don't think it's easy to manage those relationships. And, and I've had teams, guys who work for teams tell me like, yeah, we did that because we had to, like they're, they're, <laughs> you have to show that they're, you know, the trade deadline is probably a good example. Some teams will make a deal just to show they're making a deal yep. that, that we're trying or we're, we're giving you something or they're, they're building a little hope in their fan base and hoping it gets some buzz into the play. I mean, some places have to sell tickets. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not all just about the best way to win. Um, unfortunately, because as a fan, I think you, you ultimately want to support an organization that hopes to win one day. So I know this is kind of a, a random and I guess a weird time to be talking about it because there's so many, you know, trades we could be talking about and, and potential, picks and players being moved but you know whenever i have the good fortune of having you on this podcast i like to sort of pick your brain a little bit because you're a guy who uh who knows a thing or two and is on top of everything that's happening in the league and i want to talk a little bit about seattle um and sort of tying it to vegas and the league as a whole because i'm kind of curious how what your thoughts are on how vegas's surprising success so far this year is gonna affect the inevitable uh you know pre-draft draft and then first season process in seattle when that does happen um first off i guess do you like do you think there's going to be um kind of a fallout from that in terms of both how the 31 teams in the league right now are preparing on their side of things in terms of getting all their ducks in a row and making the numbers work and making sure they're not kind of getting caught like a few teams were this past year where they had to in a tough spot and they had to give away premium assets just to keep their team together um and is the league going to position uh seattle because i'm sure they're going to be pushing very hard <laughs> to have at least similar if not even better uh circumstances to build their team from the get-go it's going to be so hard to be that general manager yeah i mean great city to live in yeah cool opportunity to start a team from scratch but given that there'll be the inevitable comparisons given that ownership might have now outsized expectations of what's possible because let's face it one of the benefits for vegas is that i don't think anyone expects them to be good even after seeing the expansion draft i didn't see anyone come out and say well this team's you know gonna be in contention for the president's trophy right away right um and you know where i think they're really gonna suffer is to me where vegas with the benefit of hindsight really did well is with some of the trades they made uh, to stay off certain players and, mm-hmm. and you know, we're able to get some first round picks doing that. I, I my guess is in the next go round, teams are just gonna take their medicine a bit more, say take our guy and not give up extra assets to protect players, not to the same degree we saw. I mean I don't know off the top of my head how many trades there were, but there was eight or nine trades right. as part of that process and they extracted a lot 
of extra picks out of that and and I think still got some pretty good value and I don't because there was an unknown about that that expansion draft it hadn't happened in the cap era it hadn't happened in a long time with where most people working in the league had never gone through one right uh, teams I, I just think will be less afraid now or just resign themselves okay we're losing our fourth D yeah and take them and there you go and and I, my guess is it some things have gone right here that no one could have predicted, like getting William Carlson, who somehow is going to score like 35 goals after never scoring 15 anywhere else at yeah. any level of hockey in a season. I mean, and credit to him and, and credit to their credit scouts. Credit to Jonathan also. <laughs> right. I mean, Marcheseau at least we knew yeah. was good. Yeah. I mean, and Riley Smith, too. Yeah. No, but I, you're right. They, I mean, that was just another situation where Florida's cutting money and they've, right, and they're trying to undo some of the mistakes. And I'm using air quotes for our friends that are the computer boys out there. Yeah, uh, mistakes of the previous regime, oh, which awesome. which weren't mistakes at all, for the most part. I mean, everyone's got some errors, yep. but you know, I I think that the current version of the Panthers aren't ahead of what the former version was. Mm. Uh, and then they had to lose two quality assets. Anyway, for Seattle, it's going to be tough to to measure up to this i mean because they might have a bad team but, but certainly they're gonna have the same rules at minimum i i, I hope they push for more i mean they're, if, if they're spending 150 yeah. million more a couple years later they have a case to to make it more um yeah that'll be interesting because you know the gm's meetings coming up in march and i would think at least in an unofficial capacity those kind of conversations are going to take hold there because you know, now they're they're taking season ticket deposits in Seattle starting March first. It wouldn't be a shock if the team is officially granted to them at the June Board of Governors meeting. So, I mean, this this is going to become very real very quickly. And if they get granted that real team, it won't be long before they're hiring a GM to start yeah. preparing these types of things. Yeah, you're right. I guess I guess the most prime example of uh, of sort of just biting the bullet and and taking a bit of a hit, but not really compounding that would be like the Minnesota Wild this past time, right? Where it's like just so they didn't lose Matt Dunbar or Jonas Brodine, um, they're giving up Alex Tuck and Eric Halla and both those guys have been awesome for Vegas this year and it's 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 one of those things where you wonder if it would have been just better just letting Vegas take the guy to begin with and not not kind of making it life tougher on yourself. Well in Columbus as well. Yeah. I believe Josh Anderson would have been the most likely player right. uh, that they would have had to expose and then they give up a first round pick. I mean they also took the, the they probably Hort- would have lost Corpusalo, I imagine. Right? Maybe I don't. I don't know where the. I mean, clearly they prioritized defensemen. Yep. Uh, the Vegas did. They mm-hmm. took the maximum number of defensemen they were allowed to. Um, but Columbus to guarantee, and, and they made that deal before the trade deadline because they didn't want it to impact anything they were going to do. You know, gave up a first round pick, but also shedded you know a contract they didn't want around in David Clarkson. But you know, then they get William Carlson too. So you know that would have been nice to, to hold on to him. There's a, there's a few of those types of situations uh, out there, but I don't know if Seattle's going to have that. I, I just think there'll be less fear from the teams about what they're losing, and they'll just make up their minds, all right, this guy's gone, and there's nothing we can really do about it, and why why even worry about giving up extra draft picks to not? Yeah. Well, I just wonder, yeah, from the other team's perspective, having gone through that once now, as you mentioned, like, obviously Vegas' success this year is a great story, um, but on the other end of things, like, I feel like, it would, if you were in the league, it would be kind of a bit of a bit of an ego hit, right? Like, it would, like this team just comes in, takes your players, and all of a sudden finds all the success, and it's kind of like making everyone else look a little stupid. Like, I understand the league um, 
set them up nicely to do so and they took advantage of it not having been done in, in so long in such unique circumstances but I don't know it's for you know we like to think of the people in the league running these teams knowing exactly what they're doing and uh, how how does this then happen if everyone knows exactly what's going on with all their assets there's a few unhappy owners out there yeah that's fair there's yeah. a few gms that have heard like <laughs> what like, we've been rebuilding for seven years now how right what's <laughs> what's going on here i mean the the the, the biggest benefit and in seattle will still have this is not really having bad contracts right. is that they haven't at least, yeah. I mean, we'll see how some of these. Now they've actually started handing out some deals in six years to Marsha. So yeah. looks good, but who knows? Maybe right, exactly. if he goes in the tank and then all of a sudden, you know, they're in the same problem a lot of teams have found themselves in. But starting from scratch and not having the, the dead weight, I think, is a huge advantage. You know, they've obviously built four lines that that are good, that, that there's not a huge drop off from one to two to three to four in their lineup, which you know, is, is a nice thing to have. And that won't last forever because the flip side of this is, is, you know, getting all these guys that were either on one more year on their deals or two is that you have to Start make decisions that. on them. And, you know, I would think James Neal, for example, you know, who's not going to be traded by this deadline unless something really wacky happens. I guess never say never, but not likely – you know, he might walk away for nothing. And, yep. and so you're going to start to see a bleed a little bit yep. there. David Perron as well, having an awesome season. Yeah. It's it's funny. I've been trying to get a handle on that one. I I think there have been some – well, there have been some contract talks. I wonder mm-hmm. if he might get an extension. You know, the, the thing for Vegas is they don't want to give out long-term deals. They right. don't want to sign guys to 36 because, again, those are the kind of deals that very quickly we go, ah, oh, why'd they do that? Yeah. I mean, they're they're really trying hard not to overcommit. Uh, you know, I think with the Marcius case, I believe they took him to 33 with his contract. And that, I believe in their minds, is sort of an unofficial marker. They don't want to be making long-term commitments beyond that. Although if they ever got Eric Carlson, maybe they'd stretch their Yes, stretch it's a unique, kind of, unique case, yeah. But, um, you know, it's, Seattle, I think, is going to be cool. And, uh, you know, there's a lot happening there already. I mean, Tim Lywicki does everything at warp speed and mm. and talking with him a little bit. I know that... that you know, he's anxious to get this off the ground. I mean, the question becomes, if we're looking at a potential lockout in September 2020, do you want to launch a team out of a lockout? I mean, that's not ideal. Uh, I don't think 1920s in play just with the building. So the timing of when the team's going right. to arrive will be sort of interesting. Uh, but there's a few people out there, too, that wouldn't mind that job. So I think that there's sure. some, some benefits to, to building a team from scratch, too. Yeah, it's not. I mean, listen, it's not that long of a drive for me, so I, I wouldn't mind. Uh, Are you throwing your hat in the ring here, Dimitri, or what? <laughs> no way. I would never leave the PDO cast. We have too much fun recording these shows. Well, I know you've got a pretty uh, varied and and you know some big heavy hitters listen to this podcast. So I, I've had a few people approach me in press boxes and say, "Oh, I heard you on the PDO cast." Uh, so maybe if you if you keep lobbying, you know, someone out there yeah, is going to hire we'll, you. We'll see how it goes. Um, all right, so we're at the one hour mark. Just one more quick thing. Um, Let's get back to the trade deadline since it's a more topical thing. What do you, beyond all the Eric Carlson stuff we just talked about, and I guess no more Senators talk. It can't include the Senators. Is there any other sort of dominoes you're waiting to fall that would actually have, you know, intriguing ramifications for the league's power structure heading into the postseason? Well, I, I'm fascinated by Nashville. And, you know, that that seems like a team to me that's waiting in the weeds to do something big. Uh, you know, they're they're really making it known that Eli Tolvanen, who you know just had a nice uh, Olympics for Finland and is probably their top or second best prospect, that he's not available because they they actually are weighing the possibility of bringing him in to play in the playoffs this year once his season in the KHL is over. Mm-hmm. So I I don't know if but maybe they can be enticed. I mean, this is what's great about the deadline is it's one thing to say all that 
two weeks out, right. and then you get here and you see what teams are starting to make moves, and maybe you get a little bit impulsive. I mean, if you're David Poyle, he spent a long career here trying to win a Stanley Cup. He got within two games of it last year. In his mind, I think somewhere in his mind, if there's a different call on the PK Subban goal in game one, and if mm. there's a not a quick whistle on a goal, potential goal in game six, maybe they won that cup last year. So I, I think that he wants to arm his team with with something. They're a team I could see making taking a big cut at somebody. Yeah. Um maybe even Carlson. Who knows? It seems like oh, it's man. not well, in- I mean, one thing about that team is they uh they're really short on impactful defensemen. So Well, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean they got a spot on their fourth pair for true. them. So it's true. <laughs> well, who knows? Maybe they're trading someone hey, hey, else. Hey, Tony Potato right now is like, hey, CJ, that's my spot. Well, all those guys are signed. That's yeah, what's interesting. They signed Irwin, I believe, yeah. and, and Weber. And, Weber yeah. and So they, I don't know what they're doing. I you don't just think, never know. I, I, like, I'm just saying if there's a surprise, and, and I could see the surprise coming from whatever Nashville does because I really, they, they're similar to Pittsburgh in that they're incentivized to kind of throw caution to the wind a little bit yeah. and try to just try to give themselves the best shot at it. I mean, once... Once you go down the road, they're down where they've got Johansson by trade. They got Subban by trade. They got Turris by a trade. I don't know. I feel like you emptied the tank. So, you know, maybe we'll see something there. Well, I had Arthur Staple on the show earlier this week. And one of the most interesting things he said was, you know, in his dealings with Garth Snow over the years was all the stuff he'd heard that he couldn't report necessarily, but that he found so fascinating in terms of trades that were talked about, but never actually materialized. And I'm sure that happens with every team. And you're right. I mean, you could have an idea. We're good right now at this point on Friday afternoon. And then come Monday, let's say, for example, the Winnipeg Jets, who I imagine the Predators will look at as one of their scariest competitors out West, makes some sort of splash trade and brings in another big gun, whether it's they convince uh, like a Mike Hoffman type to come or, or something like that. And then all of a sudden, if you're Nashville, you're like, well, you know, we kind of kind of got to keep pace here. Let's try to do something ourselves and really... That sort of stuff is fascinating because there is a bit of an arms race, and I think we could see that out, out out east as well with Pittsburgh making their move now and then the Lightning. And if they do so, I imagine the Bruins might not be necessarily content with just Nick Holden being their only acquisition. And then do the Leafs do something now that they have they're down to forty eight contracts? And it's like all this, all these moving parts. It's not just your own team; it's what's going on around you as well. Well, and a lot of trades come together quickly. Yeah, you know, when you have a fit. And let's face it, there's a lot of discussions that have been happening over the year that have nothing to, you know, they're, they're not imminent and then all of a sudden teams get back to it because they know, you know, this team might like our prospect here and we'll, you know, whatever, what have you. But that's still why the deadline resonates is that there's an unpredictability to it. Yes, there's there's also a, a formula on that we've often seen a ton of rental play, pieces for sort of fourth, fifth rounders kind of thing. But there, there's there's always a possibility something big happens. And this year... As I started off, you know, by mentioning, I really feel like there's some different circumstances in the air than we normally have. You know, Max Pacioretty could could still move. Right. You know, guys, we're talking about captains of teams here, you know, players that have, you know, in Max's case, has scored, what, the top five goals in the league the last five years combined. Yep. There, there's, there, there's some blockbusters that are possible if teams get aggressive. And you know, we kind of have a top-heavy league again, too. Like, I don't know. If we were to sit down, this is probably something to do after the deadline, you mm-hmm. know, for one of your, your your shows. But how many teams do we think can win the cup? Yeah, like how many truly have a shot? I mean, I don't even know. If, do you put the Leafs in that category? Like, my point is, do you go even that deep in the Eastern Conference and they're yeah, as top six or seven team in terms of points in the league right now in the West? I mean, we're looking at Nashville, Winnipeg, Winnipeg, 
See? Yeah, it's pretty tight. I mean, like, I like Dallas, for example, but I think a lot of things would have to happen right. for Dallas, Dallas to even make the cup final. Well, right? and so sometimes, like, I, I mean, at Ottawa, I mean, Ottawa it, had yeah. that, that last year where th- some things fell their yeah, way in Carlson. I had to lose in five to Boston in the first round, so what How do I know? Look? Don't ask me. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so, yeah, I, I think because you're, you're talking about some real impactful guys that there are only a couple teams that probably truly believe they have a chance to win and the fact that one of them might do something and mm. then the owner's calling and all that other stuff we're talking about and, and reporters like me are bugging you. Hey, what are you guys doing? And, you know, I could just see us getting some fireworks by Monday and let's hope they save a few of them for after 8 Eastern time before 3 p.m. Eastern time. So yeah, that'd be nice. So that we're all just looking at each other on set out there, Dimitri. Yeah. Um, well, I'm looking forward to it. So speaking of well, Monday and the set, um, you're going to be on with Elliot Friedman and John Shannon, I believe. Yes, we're over in the... In the corner. There we go. Are you gonna be, are you gonna be like looking at your, uh, your? You have an iPhone there, right? Yes. Yeah. So you're gonna be just looking at your iPhone the entire time, or are you gonna be smiling for the camera, or what are you? What are you gonna be up to? Yeah, mostly. Have looking you worked at in my a pose f- yet? Or are you? No, it's funny. I, Do you want to borrow one of my turtlenecks? We were talking. To, no, I, <laughs> I'm gonna leave that to you. You got that? You and Thomas Placanich. I mean, maybe. Yeah. And Yashin. Don't forget Yashin. Well, exactly. I mean, a lot of distinguished European gentlemen. It's so, um, yeah, most of the time you're gonna see the side of my head or the top of my head. <laughs> Uh, looking down at the phone, I'm sure. Uh, you know, our, our job, really, our role is to try to get some of the news or confirm things that come out and, uh, you know, do some quick analysis. But the, the main panel will, will handy the, handle the heavy lifting. And Darren Millard has the toughest job by far on our side of things, just having to traffic cop it all and, and to fill time when there could be four hours. There was one one of my first years when I was on TV. I, I, the, the years are blending together. Four or five years ago, we didn't mm-hmm. get the first deal until afternoon, Eastern. Yeah. And we were literally on air live four, four and a half hours. And the first deal was like two guys you've never heard of, even if your job is to know everybody in hockey. So uh, you never know what you're going to get. But uh, I'm hoping for some fireworks. And I, yeah, there's an air of mystery about this one, more sure. than normal, yeah. I think. So Yeah, it seems like some, yeah, some actual, uh, maybe nothing will happen. But if something does happen, it does. It, it, it just, there's this vibe that it could be very impactful as opposed to being a, a rental player for a third or fourth round pick. Well, do you think Eric Carlson's going to play in the Saturday two o'clock game for Ottawa? Imagine they hold him out. Yeah, I think. Yeah, stuff like that builds the drama, though, right? It's I mean, true. and they could easily hold him out and still not trade him, but just to be sure. I mean, who knows where? Well, let's hope he at. hasn't been traded by then, so that this podcast is still relevant. Let's uh, let's hope that's the case. Um, all right, CJ, let's get out of here. Let's get back to a. Uh, living a, in a life of fear where we're constantly checking our phones to make sure we don't miss out on anything. And uh, I appreciate you taking the time to chat during this really busy part of the year. It's, uh, it's the best. Thanks for listening, everyone. All right, chat soon. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast.